Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleepin. On today's episode, Gabe Yanez and I, we get after it. We talk about imams and dirty bulking. Now, that's a catchy title, but basically, we talk about some questions. We ask the question of what are better, AMRAPs or imams? It was a question that came through Instagram. I want to go ahead and dive into it. And then Gabe is going to start answering nutrition questions. In particular, he talks today about counting macros and his goal of gaining size, which I was particularly interested in. A lot of the things he had to say on this on this subject. We talk about leaderboarding, the pros, the cons. We talk about BJJ training, and we finish it off by talking about some of the new newsletters we have at NC Fit, which I think drive a ton of value for gym owners and then also for athletes. But before we get into this episode, I want to talk to you about a podcast partner we've had for quite a while now. You know, we we don't have many partners. Actually, we we only have Merrick Health, and it's because I find a lot of value in what they have to provide. I was delaying getting my blood work done for years and years and years. Finally, maybe not years and years and years, but not as often as I wanted to, I should say. Merrick Health came around and they offer a really great white glove service where they make it easy and they're able to analyze in depth your blood work. So Ashley got it, I got it, our team's gotten it, and I think that they do an incredible job. So if you're interested in getting your blood work done, if you're kind of curious, like, hey, I feel fit, but what does my blood work look like? Merrick Health does an incredible job. Make sure to check out the podcast show notes for 10% off. Use the code EOE for that 10% off. And make sure to check out the podcast show notes for the exact same panel that I did. Ashley's done. And I think you're going to like it as well. Without any further ado, let's talk to Gabe Yannis about EMOMs, dirty bulking, and all things nutrition. Let's go. Mr. Yannis, yesterday I'm at the gym and we were filming some new content. Uh, for NC Fit. And we're really working on just landing home, like this idea of just putting an effort, effort over everything. And we're trying to create, you know, cool, engaging content that will hopefully share with people, you know, our ideas of that. And so we were having a great photo shoot yesterday, great video shoot. And I was working up to a heavy clean and jerk. And I don't normally go super heavy on clean and jerks that often anymore, but it was a good environment to do it in. It was, it was fun. It was exciting. And I wanted to make sure that we got some great shots for this uh, shoot. So I started working my way up and I'm vibing, I'm feeling good. And I got to a point where I had like 275 on the bar and I power cleaned it, jerked it pretty easily overhead. But what I felt was when I, when I caught it in the split jerk, right, just some instability in the shoulder. And it's interesting because when I was getting ready for the Rogue Invitational, this is like a couple of years ago, the first time it was like individual, I had to slowly start increasing my weights on dynamic lifts because what I found was that my hips were strong, my technique was good, but my like support muscles weren't strong enough to like control the load. And so what I felt yesterday, and this is, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, is this idea of I had, I paused, I stopped because even though I had the strength to dynamically drive it up, even though I had like maybe these big muscles to do it, I didn't have like the smaller like support system that maybe I would have had years ago because I worked different, different ways. And so I had to kind of take a step back on yesterday's lifting session. I just thought we could talk about that a little bit here where, you know, it reminds me a lot of when we had our first member. Uh, one of our first women to get a muscle up at the gym. This is back in like 2008. Her hips were super dynamic. She had a lot of power, really, really powerful athlete. But we never really worked the prerequisite strength in the bottom of the receiving position of the dip. So she was able to drive herself up there. But once she received in the dip, she didn't have that kind of like structure, that strength in that particular position. And she ended up getting injured doing it. It was a big learning lesson for me. 
And now I saw signs of that same thing here in the clean and jerk yesterday. So I just thought we could talk about that, how just being aware that you may have the hip power, you may have like the multi-joint big muscles, but maybe you don't have the small supporting muscles to help you. And if you start feeling that, you might need to take a step back. Yeah, and I think it's not just um, the the smaller support muscles. And <clears throat> honestly, I don't know in, enough about um, body mechanics to, to kind of go too deep into this conversation. But I think that a big piece of it too is neurological. You know, one thing that I've been doing a lot of you know, you know, my own research in more specific to like hypertrophy training and building muscle is how much of a neurological component there is to getting stronger and to be able to, to, to move more load. And I think that that to me seems like what's happening when someone that is very strong and, you know, your, your, your strength might not necessarily go away, but hasn't been doing a certain movement at a certain load for a long time. It's just those, those neural pathways aren't firing as much as they used to, so that it's not, you know, quote unquote muscle memory. And I think that that's what can impact, you know, how it feels to catch that heavy clean at the bottom or how it feels to have, you know, a certain amount of weight on your front rack before you actually throw it up into a jerk. So I think that that's a big component of it. And I think that that's why, you know, like you're saying, preparing for something like the Rogue Invitational, you know, you can't just go back and see, hey, what was I throwing up in 2013 and try and go off of those numbers. Sure, you might still be able to squat and deadlift and 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 you know have the big movers that you had and and that maybe hasn't gone away as much, but you haven't been clean and jerking or snatching that heavy. And I think that that like the neural the 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 the, the nerve part of it, the movement patterns, is something that you need to take a little bit more time with. That's a really good um, perspective. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it that way. I thought about it more as like supplemental muscle groups, like. Um, doing upright rows, doing single arm presses, doing lateral raises. But I guess when I think back into all the training, even when I was competing heavily in CrossFit, it's not like I was doing that, that much isolated hypertrophy type training. I actually think I could have benefited more from some of that like specific isolation, but I get what you're saying. And maybe that's exactly what it is, is that, um, maybe it's just connecting the brain with the body, waking that muscle back up and things of that nature. That could be a piece of it too. Well, I think it's a piece that gets overlooked a lot, especially in, in kind of our space of, of functional training where there's higher complexity movements. And the muscle up is a perfect example. And everyone is kind of related to this where, you know, you can't get your first muscle for months, right? Like you have a dip, you have the strength for a chest bar pull up, theoretically should be able to get it, but you aren't able to get it. And then all of a sudden you get the first one and then you can string two together, like either right after or like just a week after. And it's not that you got twice as strong in a week. It's just that now your body knows what, you know, everything that needs to click for that to happen. And I think that that to me is a perfect example of, you know, it's just these neural pathways and movement patterns that like once they click, they're almost like ingrained into, you know, you being able to do it. It's not that you're getting that much stronger, whether it's the big movers or the small muscles. Yeah. I mean, another great example of that is the double under, right? I mean, if, if, if you're practicing jump rope for weeks and weeks and weeks, finally you get your double unders for the most part, once you get them, they're kind of locked in and, mm. uh, just connecting that pathway. I'd say, yeah, it, it was just something I was, I was seeing about yesterday because I had to kind of check my ego, right? You got, you got a couple cameras there. You're all fired up and I had to check my ego and just work up to what I felt comfortable with because I hadn't, I hadn't been putting that heavy of load specifically over my head. Um, and so 
it was just, it was just something that was on my mind. I think that for people who are in a similar boat, what I did for the rogue invitational, and I actually will probably do for the rogue invitational again this year, assuming I get the invite is what I did uh, two years ago when it was, when it was an individual competition, I really trained hard for it. Last year it was more team. It was different vibe, but I trained hard. And what I did was I remember my snatch. I, the first day I walked in there, I said, no fails, good movement. I started off at like, I don't know, 215 for the sake of argument was, was my finishing weight. I just worked up. Once I hit it, I was done. Um, before the invitation, I ended up working my way up. I, I want to say to like 265, 275. And the idea was to have no fails and to move well. And it just took me a couple of months. It took me like two months to kind of build up to that. But that was the way that I did it. So if someone's out there, maybe they had a previous lift in mind they want to get back to, assuming they have a reason why they want to get back to that lift, that's a nice way to do it. Look good, move well, don't fail, win, move on the next week, and then try and increase it over time. Um, but yeah, that's just what was on my mind from yesterday. And then also talking about Mason and his training has been really interesting too. But did you have anything you want to talk about on that other one? Well, before we move on to that, yeah. um, I, I pulled up on YouTube really quick because this is one of oh, my most, uh, most iconic Jason Kalipa memories. Which the one? 20, the 2013 uh, clean and jerk ladder. Oh, um, from Team USA? No, no, no. Not at the oh, CrossFit Games. Oh, oh yeah, the yeah, 2013. yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Those jerks. Do you remember those? Yeah. So, <laughs> All right. so, 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 so for anyone that wants to watch the video, um, maybe we'll include it in the show notes because it's sure. time, time stamped right at around like minute 50. Um, tell us a little bit about that event. Cause I, I, I think it was an interesting time in CrossFit when, you know, there were like, you were among the strongest athletes out there but maybe it wasn't always so pretty. No, it wasn't so pretty. You know, I always had this problem in the jerk in particular where what I, and I, dude, I tried hard, man. So, you know, it's funny in the snatch, I went back to a barbell for 60 days. So this was like back in like, whatever I, I, this was like back in 2010, my snatch was just tapped out at 225 and I just could not get any more. And I had a coach of mine take me down to a barbell for like 60 days only, only a barbell. That's it. And I ended up, you know, reinforcing positions, getting the hip connection. And I saw my snatch increase. My jerk, I tried to do the same thing on it. But ultimately what I ended up happening to me, and I, I don't know if I'm sure people listening can relate. I tried to regulate my height on a jerk with my back leg instead of uh, by, by going wider instead of going deeper. And so instead of bending my back knee to receive a jerk position, I ended up just trying to split my legs wider. And what that ended up doing is it ended up putting the bar out in front of me. And that's ultimately what you see in this clean ladder. And, and the reason why that clean ladder was so important is like it was me and Rich Frody on this clean ladder. And if I'm not mistaken, um, he was in first, I was in second on that day. I, I'm pretty sure actually that was the case. And I think this clean ladder would have, if I had won it, I think would have like, it was like a close battle at the time, but it was, it was, it was really, um, that was a very cool event because often in CrossFit with events, they're kind of like high stress, fast events. But when you're doing like clean ladders and stuff, it's like, all right, 30 seconds, next lift, 30 seconds, next lift. And it's like a cool moment. Cause you're kind of like you and the other guy, and you know what the other guy is getting and you have to beat it. And uh, that was a really cool uh, event. But in hindsight, 
my movement should have been better. I tried to work on it. It just, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles on that case. For sure. And it was also, you know, a different time where, you know, at the end of the day is how much weight can you throw overhead? Not exactly. You know, there, there weren't style points. I mean, there still aren't style points in CrossFit, but I think it was, it was a different time, but it's a fun kind of throwback to, to watch those videos. Dude, how about the, uh, in the rogue, uh, in the, not rogue team USA in 2014, we had a clean and jerk for, it was a, it was a combined. So it was, it was rich and I, we had to combine for just the best lifts and I go for a clean and jerk and I, I, I'd worked my way up. It was similar, similar idea, but it was a little bit more stressful because, uh, the way that they structured it. But I went for whatever, I think it was like 255, 265, and I missed it. And then I brought it back down onto my shoulder, and then it just fucking just just crushed my soul. I ended up getting it the next time, but uh, that's another good video of finishing out front. Had I worked my position, I think I would have lifted a lot more weight. But, you know, that's the thing about technique, man. You, you spend so much time working the engine, working different things. I wish I had spent a little bit more time in technique, but... I don't know, maybe other areas would have suffered. So it's all good. Yeah, it's all about balance. I, I think that, you know, before we get into Mason, who you've been training, um, you know, I think it's a good segue into the new cycle that's starting on our NCX track. So we're going to be working on the power clean, the hang power snatch, the back squat and the strict press. And the reason I, I, I like, I'm so excited about this cycle specifically for anyone that, you know, hasn't, checked out our programming on the NC fit app, definitely do so. Cause this will come out during the first week when we're still just testing. So definitely a good time to jump on board. If you have not already. Um, what I like about it is that we have the two Olympic lifts, but also two lifts to really work on like absolute strength. And then I also like the fact that it's going to be a little bit more hypertrophy based this cycle. So we're going to be doing relatively lighter weights and higher volume. So it's not just going to be about how strong can we get in those movements? Obviously, I think a lot of athletes are going to get stronger if they follow the cycle, but I love the fact that we're going to be doing some lighter loads, higher reps for the shoulders on the strict press, the lower body on the back squats, but still not ignoring the Olympic lifts while taking a version of them that I think is, I don't want to say accessible, but just you know, technique isn't that much of a concern here. Like the hang power snatch and the power clean are two versions of those lifts that I think, you know, are, are pretty doable for most people, whether there are mobility issues involved or you're just not super familiar with them. So I'm super excited about the cycle, man, and definitely wanted to give the programming team a shout out here. And for anyone that's looking to, you know, just step into a really, really good program to get strong over the summer here in July, you got to check out NCX on the NC Fit app. So just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. I mean, our NCX program, I do every day. Um, I just did a really good one yesterday, um, which had bar hangs in it. And when, you know, sometimes when I look at some of these workouts and I'm sure that people listening, they, they see, like, sometimes I just look at some like, eh, it's going to be okay. Right. And it's just, dude, a lot of the times it's just sneaky and good because it's things that I know I need. I just don't do it enough. Like yesterday, for example, I was doing bar hangs and then like a lat, like a scap pull and hold like in a, in a engaged position versus a relaxed position. And it just showed me a weakness and I'm super sore today because I just hadn't been working those type of positions. So it was really good. Um, 
I love the NCX new strength cycle we have coming up because of what you said. It's a beautiful bridge between some dynamic movement, which I think is super important, but in an accessible way. I think power cleans, I think hang snatches, I think hang hang power cleans, all really good movements. Um, because like I said, you could you could get most people most of the time moving pretty well and being dynamic in that hip, right? That open and closed position. Even if it isn't a squat, I think you're still getting a ton of benefit from that. And then combining that with your more traditional strength lifts. I'm glad you brought that up, man. I think that's going to be a really cool cycle that starts here pretty soon. Uh, I was you want to talk about Mason? Well, yeah, I think with Mason, I think it's really interesting. So today, you know, in jujitsu, it's basically... Well, Jay, give us give us a little bit of background first. I know we've mentioned Mason Fowler kind of in passing on the podcast in the past, but you know, who is he? How did you get linked up with him, and what is it that you're that you're working with him on specifically? So Mason is he actually just so the in jujitsu the biggest competition, the Olympics, the CrossFit Games, even even bigger because it's only every other year. It's called the ADCCs. And that event is going to be in Vegas in September. So we've been preparing for that. And to get there, you have to go through trials. So very similar to CrossFit, right? There's like this trial system to then get to the CrossFit Games, whatever that system might be. And so Mason won the qualifying event out of the East Coast, which is a really big deal. So right now, he's one of the top-ranked grapplers, uh, Nogi in particular, in the world. And the difference between Nogi and Gi Gi's a little bit more, I'd refer to it as old school. That's where you almost are wearing... Um, for lack of a better term, like those pajamas is, is what people would commonly refer to them as. It's actually just a, a really cool traditional Komodo, which I love rocking the gi. I think it's a great, great, great tool. But then there's no gi where basically you're just wearing, you know, sometimes just a, a pair of compression shorts, no shirt, and that's it. Other people, they wear uh, some type of like a, basically a compression shirt and compression shorts. But anyways, so I've been working with Mason for a while. And what I find to be interesting is that over the last 15 years of owning, operating NC Fit, I've worked with all kinds of athletes from different backgrounds. And uh, what I've always found is that if you're a, a, an athlete in a singular domain, like let's just say Gabe with his triathlon background, I know that he he's going to have tremendous capacity across these these areas, but maybe deficiencies in these areas. And with jujitsu, I didn't really know what to to get into because it's so dynamic in nature. There's so much going on. And I, I didn't know exactly where the weaknesses would fall. But one of the areas I've seen in jiu-jitsu that I think athletes can really improve on is the arm extended position. And so in jiu-jitsu, you never really want to have your arm extended because you're basically, by extending my arm, it opens you up to get submitted, uh, arm bars, all kinds of stuff. So basically you never want to be in this position. You always want to be kind of like in this closed off position, almost like the way you would see like two wrestlers going at it. Their arms are bent in that position. And on the ground, your arms are still typically going to be bent. You're going to be protecting your neck, et cetera. And so when you get Mason or other jujitsu athletes in an arm extended position today was really eye opening for me. So I had him doing some deadlifts and then doing some hangs from the bar. And dude, he's like, Jason, I could feel the blood pumping into my elbows. And he has some tendonitis in his elbows just from doing basic jujitsu stuff. And I went over to his arm. He's like, feel this. And I actually felt the blood legitimately pumping into his arms and his elbows. And I found it to be interesting because he's never felt that before. 
And so just by taking him from this closed off position to an open position overhead or a pressing position where you lock out your arms, it's now driving blood flow to an area that he doesn't typically see. And I think from a longevity perspective, that's exactly what he needs in addition to strength. So that was a really eye-opening experience for me this morning. I just wanted to share it with you. What specifically have you been kind of working on with him that you think will really benefit his game? Because obviously he's training with you to get better at his sport. You know, he's not necessarily trying to, you know, have the best times in these, in these workouts that you're doing with him. Um, what have you seen has been like the biggest areas of opportunities for someone in that specific sport to improve with the type of fitness that we do? I think one of the things that we talked about this morning is I, he, us, we want him to be the strongest guy on the mats when he's tired. He wants to always be the stronger opponent, even when he's tired. And so if that's the case, right, if that's a goal, well, then we need to bridge the gap between strength and conditioning. And that's really what we're doing right now. We're doing things like assault bike intervals right into some, you know, some, let's just say burpee into a, uh, I don't know, a weighted bench press or a weighted deadlift or something within reason, like fives or sevens, and then getting back on the bike. And so bridging the gap between getting our hurry elevated, learning how to control it, and then being able to perform against an external load, those are things that I think are going to be incredibly helpful uh, once once competition comes. So that's that's a lot of what we've been working, um, Gabe. A lot of our NCX workouts, man, we've been doing a lot of those, and they've been highly effective, I think. Yeah, NCX program is just such a good foundation or or supplement if you will to just so many other things that you would want to excel at outside of the gym right i think that for so long and i fall under this camp for sure you know we were and mdv says this all the time got to give him credit you know we were kind of working out to get better at working out right. and um you know i think that there's something to be said about obviously training to live a free and full life outside the gym but also to just excel at other you know um other places where performance matters yeah, hundred percent. And that's really, obviously, I think that everybody goes in ebbs and flows of their training. And that's where we've talked about this a hundred times. That's just where I'm at and where we're at, right? Where I'm at a place now where I want to utilize my training to feel good. You know, I want to feel good outside the gym. I want to look good. I want to look the way I want to look, but I want to be able to go perform and go do stuff and keep up with the kids and all that kind of stuff. So I think that was, that was a good, um, that's a good evolution of my training, right? Going from trying to win the CrossFit Games to now just trying to, you know, do those type of things. And then, you know, and then sharing that with the kids, you know, this morning I did a good workout with Ava that I thought I'd share because I thought it was helpful. Um, you know, we used uh, a ball underneath her hips this morning for just a, just a, a place to like tap. And it was just a nice reminder for me just to kind of continuously work the full range of motion of the joint. And so by putting the ball underneath her squat, it was helpful this morning something maybe some parents might want to incorporate. It's not always something we do, but at times it's a good reminder to getting that full range of that knee. That's something we did this morning. Nice. Um, good friend of mine, you know, one of my, uh, no, my, my, my first coach and kind of the, the CrossFit functional fitness space, Dennis Marshall, got to give that guy a big shout out. He listens to the podcast every now and then. So he might, might hear this. Um, he doesn't post on Instagram much, but when he does, it's always so good. But one, one point that he was making that I really appreciated was, you know, the talking about evolution of training. Um, you know, I think in our space, people have gone to such extreme lengths to make their workouts easier. And like, 
you know, a couple examples there obviously are, you know, chalking between every rep, like, you know, like wearing the, the knee sleeves and the belt and the lifters and like just, you know, getting grips, like just anything that you can do to make what the prescribed workout is easier because easier means that you can get more reps and more reps means a better score, right? And I think that in a lot of ways, this kind of started with the best intentions of, you know, if you put us against a clock for a workout, like that really helps us with efficiency and intensity because before a lot of people were working out where you just go to the gym and you're hitting some buys, you're hitting some chest and, you know, the, the it's, you just kind of fill in your 60 to 90 minutes with, with movement without real purpose. And I think that adding the clock gave that purpose and urgency that really helped people see results that they were kind of struggling to get before. But I think that now the pendulum has definitely swung too much in the opposite direction where, you know, we're, we're so fixated on the score and the time that essentially what we're doing is trying to make the workout as written as easy as possible, right? Like that's what it comes down to. And um, I just thought he had some really good examples on that post of, you know, slowing things down, making sure it's full range of motion, you know, using something we've talked about in the past, like using full grip on the deadlift, not reverse grip, not anything like that. Um, and how much more you can get out of your workouts by, you know, being intentional and not trying to, you know, cut as many corners as you can. So I thought that that was a, a good reminder and, and just, you know, cool to see somebody that was and continues to be a big kind of mentor and inspiration of mine talking about a lot of the same things that we talk about on here. Yeah. And it's hard, dude. Like it's hard because in theory, I agree with you fully. And then sometimes I'll get into a workout situation where I'm in the gym and I'll gravitate back towards speed and, and not giving a shit and just going as like, just smack. Like it's, it is, it is a fire Boun balance bouncing the deadlift. Yeah, f absolutely. Um, <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's just one of those things where I gotta, I, I have to remind myself of like, what are my intentions? What am I trying to accomplish? And I think everybody needs to just ask themselves that simple question before they go in for their training session. Like, Hey, what am I trying to accomplish today? And, you know, making sure that when they leave, they feel like they accomplished those goals. And if your goal is to, you know, go win the cross of games, you have different goals than, you know, some, one of our members going in or, uh, and into our gym or going in your garage and hitting it. Um, those are, those are things that I'm constantly reminding myself of. Uh, now, to be fair, yesterday, I did rock a little bit of a belt when I was getting pretty heavy on the clean. <laughs> and uh, I, I still got that little, you know, that little, that little itch, that little speed um, that I, that I, I still have fun with. But yeah, it's, 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 it's been, a, it's been an evolution for a lot of people. And, and I think that we need to be accepting of that. And I think it's okay. You know, I was talking to Liz and I thought she just had great perspective here. She, when she first got into CrossFit, she would be on her leaderboard on a regular basis. And her goal and intention was to use that leaderboard as a motivational tool. And I think a lot of people go through this evolution. Um, I, I never really got hung up in the leaderboard. It wasn't really something I was very interested in. Um, but I did keep up with like specific people's times on certain things. And Liz gets into her gym and they use um, sugar water. And so everybody can kind of see what's going on. And she was just really open with us about how that relationship, a leaderboard became over time, like a little bit toxic where it almost became a negative and it became negative between members. It became negative for her where she was always checking it. And it's almost like social media in a way, Gabe, where like, let's just say you post something on social media and you don't get that many likes. 
all of a sudden you kind of feel like inferior. You don't feel as good about yourself for that day. It's the same thing with the leaderboard in a different way with Sugarwad is what I was gathering from what she was saying, where she would go and she'd put up her score. Let's just say she got 10 rounds, whatever. And then she would see that Susie got 11 rounds and she would feel like she didn't accomplish much that day because she wasn't the top leaderboard or whatnot. And I think that was a slippery slope for her. And so now she doesn't, she doesn't post on the leaderboard anymore. And so I think finding a better way to track, um, track performance, I think is going to be something that we're going to continue to see in the functional training space. Cause so I do think there's a lot of people that are probably getting burnt out of uploading their scores and using that as a mechanism of their, like almost like their self-worth if you get too into it um, was something that she was talking about, which I thought was really um, eye-opening for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can relate and we've talked about it on here before, you know, yeah. leaderboard used to be life, man. Um, and it's, it, it also wasn't easy to like move away from that, but I think that, um, you know, I'm definitely in a better place now. Um, and like, I definitely enjoy every now and then like this, this past year, um, you know, we, we had the open workouts programmed on our NCMEC contract and, and mm -hmm. I ended up doing all three and it was, it was really fun to kind of like fire back up the old group text with my buddies back at home and yeah, talk a little bit of smack. That, right? Um, it was fun, you know, like it's, I, I get it, but you know, I think it's in a much better place now where I can dip my toe into that realm and, and have fun and throw down and talk smack. But also, you know, that doesn't turn into, well, man, like, you know, what's next and, and got to train for next year and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what anyone listening's goal is like, I think that that's, you know, wanting to excel in a sport is, is a great goal. And if that keeps you motivated to, you know, really um, have fitness be a big part of your life, I think that that's amazing. But I think that it's also okay for fitness not to be that. And for it to just be something that, if anything, allows you to be more stress-free and, and more energized throughout the day and throughout the week so you can be a better, you know, whatever it is, parent, husband, um, professional at work, so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, next week, I actually got a few questions from Instagram I'm going to bring up to you. But um, next week, I'm going to be hosting, um, or two weeks from now, um, the first, like, ruck event that we're going to do with, like, uh, adults and kids. I'll have to let you know how it goes. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not nervous about it, but I am curious how it goes, right? Because basically, I put out a message to our school and the gym, just say, "Hey, meet me at this place at this time. We're going on a ruck, and it's going to be a way for us to, you know, use our fitness, help our kids get a little bit more adversity, overcome things." But I mean, I think it could be like groundbreaking. This, this like ruck that I want to go on, or it can, it might be a shit show. And I'm a little, cause it, I, I don't know what to expect, right? You might have a few kids and adults who don't know what they're getting themselves into. They've never been up this hill before, but I guess worst case, they just turn around and they do their own thing. But, um, I'll have to keep you posted on how that one goes. That's coming up in two weeks. Yeah, please do. Um, let's see. You want to, you want to hit the question. So while you look for the question, um, definitely want to give people listening a heads up. So one thing that we want to do moving forward as a segment to this show every single week is, you know, answer one nutrition and one training question and kind of, you know, dive into it a little deeper than, you know, just answering five questions one after another. Um, so we'll be putting something out on Instagram so you can submit your questions. Um, you can always just throw it in the comments when we post the podcast episode. But the goal here is, I mean, I'm super passionate about all things nutrition. 
Jason obviously knows a thing or two about training. So we want to answer one nutrition, one training question every episode. And we're excited to formally add that segment probably starting next week. But I think Jason has some questions now that we can kind of answer. Yeah, I mean, I was I was on a I was filming some stuff with Liz, and so she she put up on my social, and I got we got quite a few questions. A lot of them are a little bit more training related and communication and and uh, you know family type stuff. But uh, one of the questions I think we can answer here is AMRAP EMOM um, for what is the benefits of each? This is um, from Karel. I it's. I can't read the name effectively, um, but I thought we could start off with AMRAP EMOM uh, for uh, what is the benefit of each. And I think that they definitely each have a, a different intention and goal. Um, which one do you like better, AMRAP or EMOM? I, I mean, like you said, it really depends on like the intention of the workout that day. I, I, I personally have always really enjoyed EMOMs because... I think that they, they, they hold you accountable to like a pace, you know, an AMRAP, you can always like come out guns blazing, like put some reps in the bank and then just kind of try and hold on, which I think is a completely different strategy. But I think that honestly, what's more, more challenging is, you know, something like death row where like you're, this is the pace you have to hold both the first two minutes and the last two minutes of the workout. And I think that that, could be pretty daunting. And it also just forces you to be better at pacing accordingly, right? Like in yeah. an AMRAP, you have a lot more flexibility on starting really hard and just trying to hold on versus like, you know, for an EMOM, especially an EMOM like death row, where it's meant to be like a very, very tough challenge. Um, you have to stay consistent. And I think for some people that that in itself, practicing how to hold a consistent pace is an important skill that we don't work on a lot. Yeah, I think if you're a coach trying to explain to someone what an AMRAP and an EMOM is, or if you're an athlete and you're trying to wrap your head around it, an AMRAP is as many reps or rounds as possible. It was really coined by the CrossFit functional training space, I'd say about a decade ago, more or less. Then you have, or, or probably a little bit more than that, actually. Then you have an EMOM every minute on the minute. Um, I started training that way about, probably about 12 years ago, um, heavily. I'm not going to say I made it up, but uh, there, a few of us really started training that style early on in the CrossFit career because we saw such benefits from it. And I think that the, when you look at the two in AMRAP, the way I approach AMRAPs is I approach it as, okay, it's a 20 minute AMRAP, a 10 minute AMRAP based on the duration, it'll affect my mindset of how I approach it. So if it's a five minute AMRAP, I'm going to go pretty hard, right? Cause I'm going to really fight for it. Let's just say it's seven minutes of burpees, which came up the CrossFit, uh, open years ago. You're going to go pretty hard for seven minutes nonstop, or maybe it's a 30 minute AMRAP where you're going to approach it a little bit slower. But in either case, what I like to do is if it's a rounds workout, let's just say it's like a 30 minute AMRAP, I'll finish my first round or my first something, and then I'll look up at the clock and whatever my first round took, I'll then evaluate if I could keep that same pace for the next X amount of minutes. At the end, let's just say I finished five rounds in 30 minutes, but my first round took me a minute but I only finished five rounds total. Well, I might've gone out way too hot. And so what I like to do is evaluate my first round. Then when I finish the overall workout, I look back on my first round and say, hey, what did I learn from this experience? Did I go out too hot? Did I go out too slow? What, what, what was my learning lesson here on an AMRAP? That's the way I like to approach them. I think they're highly effective workouts, especially for class settings because they finish everybody at the same time. So I love AMRAPs for that matter. They finish everybody at the same time. 
They're a great way for people to evaluate if they went out too hot. And, um, and yeah, then you have EMOMs. And EMOMs are just completely different. Or even what Kelly likes to talk about, E-talk every 30 seconds. Uh, E-talk? In E-talk. Every 30, I'm butchering that. But anyways, anything that's like repetitive. Gabe brought up a really good point. So an EMOM is every minute on the minute. You can do it for 10, 20, 30, whatever. The benefit to an EMOM, I think, occurs even more psychologically and mentally than I think it might physically. And what I mean by that is that Whereas in an AMRAP, you're, you're fighting to hold on, but you don't really have anything to hold you super accountable. In an EMOM, it's like, all right, I'm going to do 10 burpees every minute on the minute. And you get five minutes in, you're like, dude, I am, I am wrecked. I cannot do this anymore. And then all of a sudden you hold on for the next five minutes. When you finish, you feel like you accomplished something and you mentally broke through what you thought you couldn't accomplish and you did it. And so for EMOMs, in my, in my perspective, they help you in two ways. One is they help your overall mental toughness and fitness for sure. No question about it because you just, when you want to give up, you, you fight to finish that next minute. The second thing they do is they're really great for technique work. And so if you're ever working strength-based movements, I find that when you do it every minute on the minute, one lift, it allows you to get into this flow state. We could do two muscle-ups every minute on the minute. And after you finish that, there's calculated rest where you can evaluate, Hey, how did I perform on that movement? And then you can make automatic changes instead of finishing an AMRAP and be like, dude, you know, in an AMRAP, you're done. In an EMOM, you have calculated rest where you can then evaluate your movement, fix it on the next minute. So I think it's great to improve your movement. I think it's great to improve your mental capacity. Long-winded answer. No, I think that's a really good, really good training um, question and, and obviously a really good answer. And obviously we incorporate both in all of our tracks, both NCX and, and NC Metcon alike. Um, you know, on, on the nutrition front, I, I know that we don't have a question, but I'll share, you know, what kind of I'm focusing on now because I've tried everything and I'm always kind of tinkering. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like I've come full circle in some ways to what I'm doing now. So I've, I've mentioned this in the past and um, one really big goal for me to cap out this year, and I know we still have six months, but it's a little bit of a long-term goal, is to really try and like put on some significant amount of muscle. And, and it's something that honestly, I've definitely genetically str struggled with in the past. Like, you know, I was an endurance athlete all my life. Um, I always kind of get to this like 170, 170 pound range. And just like, I can't put on more weight. Like it's, it's really hard for me. Cause there are some people like you, I imagine Jay, that like, you know, you look at a squat rack and you put on muscle. Whereas, you know, there's, there's some people that I know are out there that, you know, great engine, but it just, it doesn't happen. It's, it's, it's just not, um, not in our genetic makeup. But I think that that just means that it requires much more diligent amount of work, both on the training side and the nutrition side. Um, so I'm back to counting my macros and it's not like a, well, I can't go over. It's just more, um, really holding me accountable to make sure I'm eating enough. Um, now, protein I think, in particular, is that what you're, is, are you, cause are you looking at, or just protein, in general? No, just in, I, I mean, I'm counting everything because a big piece of it is making sure that I'm getting enough calories, um, to, to, to gain some muscle, um, protein being a big part of it. And I think that, you know, one thing that I did in the past and, um, people that were, you know, around me during this time will, will have a laugh, but there was one point where I, you know, I guess people call it, call it dirty bulking, but I just ate like junk 
and as much as possible because I was like, I can't gain weight. This is how I'm going to gain weight. And, I've never um, heard of dirty bulking before, but that's a cool. Uh, it's a term. It's a term. The dirty bulk. You might have just made it up. Yeah. I don't know, but um, but it was funny because I I literally like got like I got I got pretty chunky, like it wasn't like like really good weight added, and um, I definitely got stronger. And then when I like cut back afterwards, like there was definitely some change. But I think that you know a lot of people that think that that's the way to go don't realize two things. One is that, you know, short-term muscle gain, especially if you kind of struggle to put on muscle, is very, very difficult to come by, especially if you're not doing it with the aid of, of you know, performance-enhancing drugs, which, you know, we're not going to go there. Um, so what happens to a lot of people that, you know, will gain a lot of weight by eating not the best foods and then cut back is you essentially go through all that work to get right back to where you start. You gain fat and muscle, and then you lose the same amount of fat and muscle. And so at least with the research that I've been doing and a lot of the people that I've been listening to, for someone like me, this has to happen over a very extended period of time. And the amount of weight that I should be aiming to gain week over week should actually be pretty minimal. Because what you have to understand is that, you know, based on your genetic predisposition, I'm someone that isn't going to put on a lot of lean muscle mass week over week, period, no matter how much I eat or how much I train. So any extra weight that I'm gaining is going to be fat, which you don't want. So ideally, the way to do this is to find a place where you're gaining the minimal amount of weight for you to still gain the maximum amount of muscle, if that makes sense. Because yep. the amount of muscle you're going to gain is, is kind of fixed. It's, it's, you have a genetic ceiling for that. And everything X is going to be fat, which you don't want. So if you can find that sweet spot where you're gaining the most amount of muscle that your genetic ceiling allows you to with the least amount of excess fat, you'll have a much easier time down the line just shedding the fat and actually seeing a promising change in body composition. So that's what I'm trying to do now. And it's, it's been- six months, that's your goal, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's what been- What do you weigh today? Um, 177. And what are you trying morning. to get to? Like 190? 190, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, We'll have to keep tabs on this because I think it's a really cool subject, right? Is is gaining size without gaining fat, basically, is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And 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 again, like I, I would want to make sure that we make it clear that that's actually not necessarily possible. Like you're going to gain some fat, but the, the thing is, if you're able to do this the way that I want to, which is where you're really maximizing the amount of muscle and minimizing the amount of fat, even though you are going to gain some fat, visually, which is, you know, what we're concerned about, you'll still look like you're making quote unquote lean gains. Um, but man, it's, it's been tedious to count macros again. I did it way so when back. You're macros, like mm -hmm. you're, you're like, let's just say your, your meal is protein, fat, carbohydrates, right? You live on a farm, so you have access to a lot of great, great, great foods, but let's just say it's a chicken breast, uh, uh, are we talking chicken breast, broccoli, uh, avocado, or are we talking chicken breast, rice, potatoes? What, what are we talking about? Like what's building up the bulk of your meals? And then how are you counting those macros? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I downloaded an app. It's called Carbon Coach, which is similar to MyFitnessPal, just something that has a built-in database of pretty much any food you would imagine. You can scan barcodes for things that have barcodes. You can put in eggs or beef for stuff that don't, and there has it has the macro breakdown of that stuff in there. And it's just, you know, putting everything that I eat into this and, and trying to hit 
the goals that are set based on the app of not only calories, but protein, carbs, and fat doesn't have to be like per meal. It could be the different snacks that you have during the day and stuff. Um, what percentages are you going off of right now? Um, so right now I believe it's, uh, 3,800 calories. Um, so pretty close to 4,000, 190 grams of protein, yep. just under 400 grams of carbs. I, I can't remember off the top of my head and the rest is fat. I think like 130. It's, it's, it's pretty balanced ratios, um, with, uh, a little bit of a higher, um, protein intake than is usually, um, like what the purely balanced ratio would be, um, because the specific goal is, is, is muscle gain. You know, it's funny, like from everybody I talk to about muscle gain, whatnot, I think the general consensus is one gram of protein per every lean body mass that you want to have is like a good rule of thumb that seems like everybody agrees on. Um, maybe not everybody, but most people I talk to agree on that. Yeah. The range is like anywhere from 0.6 to 1.3. So that one falls smack in the middle of that. But that range is based off of it, it, pretty much like what your activity level is. So yeah. if you're training super, super, super hard, you'll want to be closer to the 1.3. If you're not training hard at all, you'll want to be closer to the 0.6. Um, but that's why that, that one gram recommendation tends to be what gets talked about a lot because it kind of falls right in them. It's pretty safe regardless of where you're at in the, in the training spectrum. Now you're not like fully evaluating. So from a quantity perspective, you're tracking that, of course, mm -hmm. from a quality perspective, you're just kind of like, eh, it, it needs to be good food, but you're not like, you're not only eating X, Y, or Z. You're not really calculating. Yeah. That yeah. So I, I mean, especially for the amount of food that I'm, that I'm trying to eat, it, it's really hard to do it with like, you know, say like, oh, I'm carnivore or I'm like super clean, like not doing anything like that. I'm super lucky that I have access to a lot of clean, pretty calorie dense foods like raw milk and I have like an endless amount of eggs. Um, and obviously we have a lot of really good meats and stuff. But one thing that I would definitely, you know, has been a learning for me is I'm also not trying to do this where, you know, I feel like you see maybe not so much now, but you used to see a lot of social media influencers and people back when like the flexible dieting thing was was popular where it was like, donuts and pop tarts and like all this junk. And as long as it fits your macros, like it's all good. You know, one thing that I, I heard the other day from, you know, one of these nutrition coaches that I, that I follow Aaron Straker, I'll give him a shout out here. Um, was that the reason that even if you're trying to bulk and even if you're trying to eat a certain amount of calories, you still want to be conscious of the food quality. And the reason, and I love how he worded this was that a healthy body is a responsive body. And what he means by that is if you just throw health out the window and you're hitting your macros with Pop-Tarts and donuts and all this junk, your body isn't going to respond the way you want it to respond to being in a caloric surplus, being in a deficit once you want to cut, adding muscle, you know, seeing performance gains. Like your body just isn't going to perform the way it should. And at the end of the day, what you want is a responsive body. So that if I say, Hey, now it's time to cut back and I cut back calories. Like I want to see that the fat burns off and that might not happen if you're not healthy. So that's why it's important that even if you do take this route of, Hey, I'm going to count macros and try and put on some mass. That doesn't mean that it's like a, you know, uh, you turn into a garbage disposal and you can just consume anything and everything you want. Um, and I think another slippery slope for people once they start counting macros, a lot of these apps now 
allow you to scan a barcode of a packaged food because that's a really easy way to know, hey, how many calories, fat, and stuff this has. And so people I've seen tend to eat more packaged foods because it's so much easier to track them because it's a little tougher to track like the rice I cooked, the potatoes I cooked, the fruit that I got, the, the ground beef, all these healthier whole foods. But you know, it's, it's pretty counterproductive there for two reasons. A, packaged foods are gonna be more processed and not as healthy. But B, one thing people don't realize is just based on how regulations are here in the US, there's a lot of room for what these brands can do on these labels um, in terms of flexibility for what they have to put on there and what they don't. So like a perfect example there is, you can say that something is zero grams of fat, but I think that there's a margin of error there. It can have up to five grams of fat and you can still mark it as zero. So you have to be careful because if you're using something that says zero grams of fat and you have like four servings of it, and it actually has four grams of fat because it can do that. Like legally, these food companies can say it has zero just because it has less than five, then you're actually consuming a pretty good amount of fat and calories that you're quote unquote not counting. So I think it's just important to know that you kind of have to take the macros that are on food labels with a grain of salt yeah. because there's a lot of flexibility in the US for what food companies actually have to put and how, how close they have to stick to what's actually in the food versus what they put on these labels. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta look into that. I'm actually curious what that deviation is. I mean, I imagine there, there has to be a small margin of error just because of, I don't know, I'm sure like if someone thought that it was inappropriately written and they said it has one gram, but then they get, they get sued because maybe it had 1.5. It actually went well, to a, you know, if it actually went to a lab and was attested, right? So like, the one thing I know for a fact, I know for a fact that they can say it's zero grams of fat or zero grams of carbs if it has less than five grams per serving. And it's a bigger concern with fat because fat is nine calories per one gram. Yeah, it's very dense. Yeah. So like, you know, if you have three servings without going into a full on math equation, three servings of something that says zero fat, but is actually four because technically it could, and that's four by nine, 36 calories, you know, you might be over consuming almost a hundred calories, which isn't a huge difference for most people. But if you're, you know, doing that over, you know, every day of the week, that could really kind of, you know, inflate your numbers if you think you're keeping track, but you know, there's a lot of hidden calories there. So just something yeah. to keep in mind. I think you're bringing up a good point. I mean, definitely it's more of like a nuance. Like, like it's like if, if the biggest issue you're having in your nutrition is that you're consuming an extra hundred calories a day because of the food you're, I mean, you're probably still doing pretty well, but yeah, sure. I think just being aware of that, I think is really important, right? Cause that, that's not something that I would think of. Um, and now actually, now that you bring it up, I want to go do some more research. On, I'm really curious, like, cause like if somebody says it has zero carbs, does it really have zero carbs? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And then obviously they, they look at fiber, Right. And they could, they have zero net carbs. Right. So mm -hmm. if it, if it's like, you know, the way that all goes. So, um, dude, I love, I, I really enjoy, um, I think moving forward, having us talk about, you know, a training and a nutrition question, I think really makes sense for this, this format. And, um, especially with all of your interests and my interests, like I'm in our gyms every day. I train people all the time. You're on a ranch, you're really deep in a nutrition and you, you're really invested in it. I'm not as invested in nutrition. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the, you know, mezcal and, and, uh, oat milk side. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
but, uh, anyways, dude. So, uh, look, we're, we're, we'll put something out about, um, we have a few exciting things, right? We have a gym owner biweekly email that we have going out, right? We got to make sure we, we link that in the podcast show notes, because if you're a gym owner, you got to be on that. We have our EOE weekly, which is our weekly email for athletes all over the world, which I think Gabe and his team do a great job of. We need to link that. Uh, and then we have the new cycle starting at NCX. Um, anything else in particular on your mind? Well, we have the mid-year mini comp coming up yeah, yeah, yeah. this month in July. Um, super exciting opportunity for anyone that's been following either the NC Metcon or NC Compete track to kind of scratch that competitive itch. Um, there's going to be three workouts released in the middle of July, one workout a week. Um, they're going to be great tests, really fun workouts. Um, that should just give you an opportunity to, you know, get outside your comfort zone a little bit. Um, you know, maybe not worry so much about that perfect technique, but really race the clock, which again has a time and a place. And I think that every now and then going into that dark place and, um, you know, really trying to get after a score, um, is good. It's a, it's a good little gut check. So we don't do this kind of stuff often, but we're doing it here in the middle of July. And for anyone that's been following those tracks or wants to, you know, throw their hat into the competitive ring a little bit. It's not like this is going to be a crazy competition. There's no leaderboard or prizes. We're just trying to get people outside their comfort zone a little bit. Um, make sure to keep an eye out for that, both on our social channels, as well as obviously the NC Fit app on the NC Metcon and Compete Tracks. All right. Well, as per usual, um, if you've been listening and you want to get involved with our workouts, make sure to check out the app. If you're a gym owner, make sure to check out the NC Fit Collective, the NC Fit app, uh, we have some exciting updates coming down the line, but right now I think, uh, the stopwatch we have is world-class. The workouts we have are badass, and we're going to lean in more and more and more every day, just putting in the effort over everything. So thanks everybody for listening. Hope you guys got a bunch of value out of this. Gabe, appreciate your time and, uh, have a great week.